This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. We're about to catch up with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times, talking about all the issues and the headlines coming out of the region. To start us off, we've got the European Union imposing sanctions on Myanmar's natural gas revenues in Malaysia. Meanwhile, you've got Dr. Mahathir Mohamad speaking against Najib Razak in another letter to the voters of Johor ahead of the state elections. Yes, indeed. Also, we are seeing headlines from Indonesia. It is apparently reconsidering plans to rely heavily on foreign vaccines. So what really is the road ahead? Well, to get an analysis of these headlines, Leslie joins us now. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Bhatti. How are you doing? All doing pretty good. What about you, Leslie? I'm fine. I'm doing fine, yeah. All right, so let's talk about how the European Union has expanded its sanctions on Myanmar's military junta, including several key officials and four entities that are tied to the regime. Of course, the bloc is continuing its response to last year's coup here. And we've seen state-owned Myanmar oil and gas enterprise, which is a major source of revenue for the junta, also one of the targets here. How much of an impact will this really have on the military's funds? And to what extent do you think Myanmar would really react to the EU's latest move of targeting its major energy company? It seems quite significant. Well, it is. You know, 65 officials, 10 companies have assets frozen and they all face uh, travel bans. So Myanmar is known for its resources, apart from oil and gas, jade and, you know, other minerals which are vital to. And these are industries, sectors that are controlled by the military. Large amount of funds flow to the military's coffers, some private, some, you know, for the Huta itself. Clearly, this is is very significant and it's going to hit them where it really hurts. It is going to be interesting, I think, on how the Junta decides to respond or retaliate. But I really don't think they have very many options. This is going to be something where it really hurts for the military. You know, and having assets and accounts frozen will be a big thing, actually, for them. Leslie, Myanmar's military government has criticized calls for the ASEAN Special Envoy to the conflict-torn country to meet bodies that opposed last year's coup, which the junta has declared as terrorist groups. So what does this suggest as far as progress uh, to implement the five-point peace plan is concerned? Well, you know, the five, little progress has been made, as we all know, and the ASEAN is at a real impasse with Myanmar. And I think it is something that, you know, the Myanmar government junta has been able so far to actually continue and ignore basically the any kind of efforts for by ASEAN to try and to try and, you know, end this problem, this crisis following the coup. But I think here is where, you know, ASEAN will probably have to really step up its efforts because we we having so many international events like the, the problems in Ukraine. Should this happen, uh, what's happening in Myanmar will pale in comparison, you know. So I think ASEAN is at an inflection point. They really need to really step up their efforts and get Myanmar back on the table and seriously decide on how to end this crisis. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. 
Let's see, let's move to Malaysia. Former Malaysian Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamad has said that Najib Razak must be stopped as he is not one bit remorseful, I'm quoting him here, after his court convictions over the 1MDB fund scandal. How significant is this message, you think? Ahead of Johor State polls, these are scheduled for March the 12th, and Barisan Nasional has recorded a strong victory in Malacca State polls last November. So a lot of people are asking the question, are we expecting the same results in Johor? What do you think? Well, you know, this is going to be interesting. I mean, Amno Barisan National, when they decided to declare fresh polls in Johor, struck a very confident note. But that confidence seems to be, you know, uh, wearing thin at this point. It is campaigning is intense, and I think come nomination day, we'll have a greater understanding on how uh, the elections will play out. But clearly, this is very important for Amno, very important for Mahathir too. You know. He's his Pajuang party is contesting and if they don't do well, it would mean like, you know, kind of a death knell for Mahathir's party. So you can see the rhetoric here now, you know, it, and that rhetoric, I think, is going to grow more and more intense as we get closer to the election date in Johor, which is going to be, I think, it's going to be kind of a bellwether uh, for general elections that uh, they're likely to take place in the second half of this year. We're on the line this morning with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Sticking with Malaysia, Leslie, official negotiations between the Parti Kedilian Rakyat and Malaysia United Democratic Alliance for the Johor election were considered to be over after PKR decided it would name its candidates for the remaining seven out of 20 seats that it's contesting. What happens here? How do we deal with this confusion and how does this implicate the MUDA? Well, you know, here is, I think, really what's happening here is that PKR, which has long been the leader of the opposition, kind of surrendered that role in the last elections to Dr. Mahave. And the party has, I think there is a lot of regret in the party for giving up that leadership role. So what we're seeing here today and how, you know, PKR's interactions with Muda, I think, can be, uh, we can reason it to be that here is PKR basically trying to reassert its leadership role in the opposition coalition ahead of gen- the general elections that, like I said, would, is likely to be held sometime in the second half of this year. So the dynamics here that we see in Johor is basically one that is being played out to deal with how the leadership's roles will take place in the general election. Leslie, let's move to Indonesia. Indonesia, we mentioned earlier, is seeking to launch a homegrown COVID-19 vaccine in August. The first phase of clinical trials for the Merapute vaccine is now underway. Tell us more about these vaccines and what the Merapute in particular, and might there be others that they're developing locally? And this push towards reducing their reliance on foreign vaccines. Well, you know, it's interesting that Indonesia is doing this. And uh, the Merapute is, you know, a reason for Merapute, red and white is the Indonesian flag. Developing vaccines in the Ilanga University. And I think this is kind of important for Indonesia. A large country, 270 million population. Getting a local vaccine going will actually help, I think, the country get out of this pandemic. And because we don't know when this pandemic is going to end, 
You know, so here is some kind of self-reliance. I think getting Indonesians to buy into a locally uh, manufactured vaccine, because in a country where nationalism rides very high, it would probably be an easier sell than getting foreign vaccines, actually, you know, for the population. So it is an interesting development, and I think an important one, too, for Indonesia as it deals with this health crisis. And certainly. Thank you very much, Leslie, for filling us in on those various developments in the region. Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. You stay safe and take care, yeah, Leslie? Thank you. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.